We are going to energize the country. We need to wake up and smell the coffee. No more Mr. Nice Guy. Another future is possible, but we've got to fight for it. Order! Hello and welcome to the Debated Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Will. I'm joined by my co-host, Conrad. Hello. And in this episode, we're delighted to be joined by Fergus Much, who is the SNP's candidate for the Holyrood seat of Aberdeenshire West. Welcome to the podcast, Fergus. Hi, guys. Uh, thanks for having me on. Um, so the first question uh, that I'd like to ask, Fergus, is at uh, the last uh, UK-wide general election, you stood uh, in West Aberdeenshire and Kincaid for the SNP. I'm very Kincaid, nearly... Kincaid, uh, West Kincaid. Aberdeenshire and Kincaid, yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, uh, Kincaid. Um, and you stood against the incumbent Conservative MP, Andrew Bowen. You very nearly uh, won the seat. If you are to uh, succeed and win the Holyrood seat of West Aberdeenshire, would that mean that you wouldn't stand again in 2024 for the parliamentary seat? Or have you got potential plans that you may stand for that seat in 2024? No, my focus is is purely on uh, winning the Aberdeenshire West seat for for Holyrood. Uh, For the SNP, obviously... You know, we believe that the, the Holyrood is where the big decisions affecting um, Scotland should be made, um, if, if not in all cases are made. Um, it was a great experience for me um, in 2019, um, having my first kind of crack at a, a Westminster election. We did very well. Um, we, we cut a really safe Tory majority of almost 8,000 votes down to just 843 uh, vote Tory majority. That that number is seared upon my <laughs> my soul forevermore. It's a really tight margin, really close election. Um, and sure, you know, I, I I learned a lot as a as a candidate, um, a lot about the priorities of of this area. It's a slightly different uh, constituency um, for 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 Holyrood. We lose the southern part of the constituency, gain a bit from from the top. But no, I think um, my my focus is. Is is Holyrood? So, if if elected in May, um, I, I I can't imagine that I would be putting myself forward for a Westminster election again. Of course, um, you know it's the SNP's ambition that we won't have another Westminster election because if we if we win a pro-independence majority this May, then uh, we will be having another independence referendum, um, and uh, <laughs> hopefully, the need to send MPs to um, to Westminster in future is is uh, is, is is not required. Now, um, obviously, as you mentioned, the, the seats aren't exactly the same areas, but there's a lot of overlap with um, Andrew, Andrew Bowie's seat. Um, would you feel like you'd be able to work with him on local issues that come up, considering you've ran against him before? Yeah, I think Andrew and I have distinctly different priorities, but we're both you know, northeast uh, guys through and through. I think, um, you know, he... he, he, he you know, pers- on a personal level, I get on absolutely fine with Andrew. Um, I think you know where where Aberdeenshire's interests are, are are obvious, and you know fulfilling our potential and bringing about change. Then sure, I'm willing to work with anybody um, in 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 those circumstances. Uh, I I do think that Andrew Bowie um, perhaps um, enjoys the kind of cut and thrust of Westminster a bit too much and perhaps doesn't focus on the constituency stuff as, as much as he might. Um, but, uh, but you know, that's, that's, that's for him to decide his own priorities. Now, um, going on to uh, constituency uh, issues, of course, coronavirus has impacted the entire United Kingdom. It's impacted uh, the entire world. 
what kind of impact do you think it's had on West Aberdeenshire? And what do you think are going to be the issues going forward into the future that you think you would have to uh, deal with if you are elected to Holyrood falling out from the coronavirus pandemic? I, th- I think a huge impact um, and, you know, no part of the, the UK has been immune from um, the, the pressures, the challenges of, of um, COVID-19. Um, for businesses who've had to close their doors and adapt, it's been particularly tough. Uh, Aberdeenshire West is a, a, a kind of tourism hotspot. We've got um, Royal D side, which is a real draw. People come from you know, from all over the world to, to enjoy this part of the world, to go uh, climbing the hills and the Cairngorms. Uh, there's the, the sort of royal appeal. You know, the Queen comes here for her holidays and, and so do a lot of other people. Um, so I think hospitality in particular has been very acutely affected. Um, they've had to adapt and change and, you know, um, do so to, to varying degrees of lockdown, level systems, uh, new uh, restrictions in place and actually for them um, having had to furlough their staff and, and face extreme pressure over the last year it's you know imperative that as soon as it is safe to open um, that, that uh, they're given the support they need um, I, I think universally almost across the UK um, high streets have been in decline over the last you know 20 30 years and you know, when shops haven't been able to open the doors, uh, that has been really bad news. It's compounded existing imbalances. You know, the the big online retailers like Amazon um, have been on the ascendancy versus you know small family-run businesses over the last couple of years. Mm. And and actually, um, you know, this has probably cast in a in in fairly sharp relief the real imbalance there, the real unfairness of a small family firm paying more in rates and taxes in the local area than you know, big delivery companies um, who, who do have the upper hand and have, have frankly filled their boots over the last year uh, and made incredible profits. You know, I'm, I'm not going to say for, 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 for a second that I don't get deliveries from Amazon once in a while. Um, everybody does really it's the way it's the way we live now but actually leveling that playing field um between small family run firms and you know the big multinational retailers is something that i think really needs to change the other big issues in recent years um, especially in the last year or so has been brexit um the northeast was in out of Scotland, one of the highest voting areas for brexit um, although obviously most areas remain in, in a majority um so how do you think your rejoin message will appeal in this area well i think it does and um, actually the the aberdeenshire west area um was probably about in line with the the Scottish average when it came to to Brexit. So you know, I, I would expect in 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 the part of Aberdeenshire I'm seeking to represent, there would have been about a sixty percent remain vote, a forty percent leave vote. Uh, other parts of of Aberdeenshire, sure, you know, Banff and Buchan, the the fishing territory, um, you know, they, they did vote for Brexit. Um, you know, I'm I'm quite confident that that's a very um, popular message. Um, the SNP wants to be back in Europe. It wants to be an equal partner in Europe. Uh, since 2016, we came forward with compromise proposals to remain within the single market and the customs union. Those have been ignored at every turn. And I think that one, there is a sense of Europeanness. Um, I, there's plenty of 
EU nationals living in Aberdeenshire uh, you know, that have come here to work. We've got two universities in the northeast. We've got um, the oil and gas sector and the energy sector, which you know, attracts people from all around the world. Um, Brexit doesn't make um, those exchanges of people, of ideas, of knowledge any easier. And actually for the farming sector in particular, so let's, let's take, for example, the, the beef cattle sector in the northeast, they rely on a huge export market to, to Europe. The high value markets are France, Italy, Spain. And if they can't export that product with ease, then the whole supply chain and the whole of Northeast agriculture suffers as a result. So the, it, there's, there's various factors to it. But yes, I think being back in the EU is a, is a message that resonates extremely well with, with constituents across Aberdeenshire West. Now, of course, on the point of um, cattle rearing, Aberdeenshire is, of course, famous for uh, Angus beef. Um, I wonder... In terms of uh, cattle farming and cattle rearing, what impact do you think that has had on the environment? And what would you seek to do if you became uh, a Holyrood uh, MSP to working with local farmers to reduce the impact on on climate change of uh, cattle farming? It's an interesting point. And I think that... um... You know, more so than ever before, um, the you know, pe- people, you know, Scotland wide, UK wide, but particularly in the Northeast, are very, very conscious of the impact of climate change and you know, our, our environment, particularly younger people, too. Um, I think the context of uh, COP26 in Glasgow this year is, is a really good opportunity for, for Scotland to sort of showcase our world leading climate ambitions to, to the rest of the world. Um, Agriculture is often an easy target for for emissions. Um, that said, you know perhaps a, a lesson for all of us is that local locally sourced uh, meat, eating better quality, organic, locally sourced meat, is better for the environment than importing you know huge amounts of of of, of meat from across the world, intensively reared stuff, and actually knowing where you're. Um, you know, the food you, the you eat is coming from is is a good thing, and much more people are interested in that. I think actually over the last year, um, obviously there's been it's been a terrible time, but actually it's made people pause for thought on 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 a lot of these issues. The the farming sector I know is um, particularly keen to do what they can to reduce emissions, and yeah, you know, if, if elected in May, I'll be working with them to to ensure that happens. If you become an MSP, you'll be responsible for the laws passing through the Scottish Parliament. Um, one law that's passing through at the moment, and obviously that will presumably gone through by the time you would get in there, but I'm sure you still have a view on it, is the hate crime bill. Um, now, people have expressed concerns about this bill in terms of impacts on free speech. What is your view on the impact of this bill and what, what it means for free speech and other issues? So there was there was a requirement for a hate crime bill to consolidate existing legislation and and, and introduce measures um, to you know, I, th- I think strike the right balance between free speech and and uh, you know categories of hate crime. Um, I think the legislation when it was first introduced to Parliament and it has come in for a lot of flack was actually a very badly drafted piece of legislation. 
Um, I, 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 I look at it, one, with a kind of policy hat on, but, you know, my background is in law as well. And I think that there, there could have been, you know, several unintended consequences of the, the bill as, as introduced. You know, it, the, the Justice Secretary, Hamza Youssef, who, who brought forward the bill, has, has faced a lot of personal flack for it. However, at every stage, he's been very, very willing to seek compromise and change. And, and actually, um, I think that shows the Scottish Parliament in its best light. The SNP does not have a majority. We can't just railroad through legislation. We need to find compromise. We need to have discussion. We need to subject legislation to scrutiny. And, and in this case, it's um, it's been that process has been done in a in a really good way. Although, of course, you know, <laughs> it's politics too. So so there's been um, you know plenty of the sort of parliamentary ding dong over over this bit of legislation too. Uh, now, regarding legislation that it may be uh, difficult to pass uh, in a minority, I was reading an interesting article in uh, Prospect uh, earlier regarding land ownership in Scotland, uh, which stated that it's estimated that around 25% of estates over 1,000 acres in Scotland have been in the hands of the same family for more than 400 years, and that some 41% of properties and a staggering 72% of Scotland's uh, total land mass is missing from the Scottish land registry. Given that there have been issues relating in, in terms of who owns land, both to climate change and housing, what do you think can be done by potentially uh, a majority SNP government or maybe even working in a minority with other parties in the Scottish Parliament to rectify the land inequality that exists in Scotland? I think Scotland's land ownership and land reform journey has been really, really interesting. Um, it's perhaps not been as ambitious as I might have hoped for over over, over the years uh, since devolution. Uh, there is, you know, the starting point here is there is, as you say, a chronic imbalance in land ownership in Scotland. Uh, big estates dominate the, the landscape, particularly here in Aberdeenshire West. Um, there needs to be transparency in who owns the land, and you know there's there's work to be done in the the land registry. But there's also, I think, more support needing to be given to communities to bring land into local ownership. Um, the SNP previously set an ambition of a million acres uh, in public ownership, um, which you know I think tragically has kind of fallen by the wayside. Um, you know, I'd like to see that ambition resurrected. I'd like to see it, you know, it doubled. <laughs> and uh, I'd like to see a lot more land in public ownership. Grouse moorland um, is not an efficient way to manage land by and large. Okay, sure, there's, there's, there's good landowners and there's bad, but, but actually it's, it's not particularly um, environmentally friendly. In some cases, uh, it doesn't provide much economic benefit for commun communities, it doesn't employ that many people. So actually having a diversity on some of these big estates, and you know, we're talking 50,000 acre estates here, where they have land freed up for local housing, and that's an issue for young people in rural Scotland, for you know, community renewable projects, you know, wind turbines and um, you know, small community hydro schemes that can make a big difference in injecting some cash into, into rural and remote communities. You know, more forestry. Um, the, the natural landscape in Scotland was a vast Caledonian pine forest at one stage. There's been deforestation in Scotland over 2,000 years. The, the landscape of the sort of windswept moorlands that you, you associate 
with Scotland are not natural landscapes, and actually they they aren't the the best in terms of biodiversity um, and you know Scotland tackling its its uh, um, climate change um, targets either. So yeah, plant more forestry, um, use the land for a diversity of purposes, and yeah, critically get more of it into public ownership. We're going to take a short break from our conversation with Fergus to hear a trailer for the Politics of Sound podcast episode with Lawrence Fox. When we come back, we'll be asking Fergus about internal SNP matters relating to Alex Salmond, Nicholas Sturgeon, Joanna Cherry, amongst others. I hope you enjoy listening to that when we come back in a moment. Do you want to see your politicians from a different angle? It's time for the Politics of Sound podcast. I believe that people's record collections can reveal a lot about them, and so every month I invite politicians and political figures to reveal their three all-time favourite albums, and in exchange, I want to know all about them and their lives, what they think, and why they think it. My guest for the March episode is Lawrence Fox. I've always thought what I think. No, I'm not sorry. I do believe it. And you know what? I believe it even more today than I did. I think Twitter's a sewer. I'm sorry, that's not how democracy works. Oh, God, who said it? I've gone woke. And it's not like I was saying anything controversial. The Politics of Sound podcast with my guest, Lawrence Fox, out March the 1st on Global Player or wherever you get your podcasts. An issue within the SNP that sort of had a spark, sparked some lot of discussion is the sacking of Joanna Cherry. Um, what are your views on her her sacking and her like opinions on things like transgender rights and um, sort of more aggressive stance on independence maybe than Nicola Sturgeon has? Yeah, uh, Joanna is a politician that I have a huge amount of respect for. Um, she obviously <laughs> took, took the UK government all the way to the Supreme Court and, and won in one of the most incredible historic um, cases in um, you know, British legal history in recent years. Um, she's a sharp intellect. She's, she's um, extremely passionate about the causes that, that she believes in. I, I genuinely believe that um, there is space for a variety of views on a variety of subjects in the SP. I think we've always uh, prided our, ourselves on being a fairly broad church united by um, belief in independence, how we get there, um, how quickly that is, what the process for that is, is of course a matter for debate amongst our membership and amongst our uh, elected Politicians, you know, the decision to to remove Joanna Cherry from the front bench is, is a is a matter for for our Westminster leader in Blackford, um, and I, it it is what it is, um, and he he has you know he has the right to 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 choose his his team. But actually, I I would like to see a variety of voices, dissenting and otherwise, um, represented um, throughout the SNP. One thing I will say um, in, 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 in balance to that is that, you know, often these debates are best held by parties, um, it, you know, behind closed doors or a party conference um, and yeah, the, the sort of briefing and, uh, you know, tittle-tattle about colleagues that, that, that sometimes goes with these things in the press um, perhaps isn't, isn't my way of, of, of of approaching these these matters and and doesn't necessarily um, lead to to uh, good feeling uh, within the party. So, yeah, I think you know, um, it it wasn't the the best um, of of kind of uh, outcomes. I don't think, um, 
But I think the party, generally speaking, despite some pretty tough challenges over the last years, is in fine fessel. And there's real trust in, in the leadership of Nicola Sturgeon as we go into uh, a historic election for the SNP. Um, on the point of uh, Ian Blackford and his responsibilities as leader of the SNP in Westminster, uh, today, Patrick Grady, the SNP chief whip, has stood down amid uh, sexual harassment allegations. And according to various news outlets, uh, the SNP have been aware of these allegations uh, since uh, 2017, going into 2018, when um, letters were formally submitted to the SNP. Why do you think it has taken now, 2021, as, as we're speaking, why do you think it's taken so long for any action regarding uh, these accusations of sexual harassment to come to light and to be actioned in some way. I've read what, what you read in, in the Herald newspaper today, and I think it's right that uh, Patrick Grady as chief whip has, has to decide what uh, these matters are looked into. Um, as I understand it, um, the complaints weren't formalised, but the party in question was was given the it was signposted to to the right way of of raising a complaint at the time should that have been their wish um and you know um th there are there are processes governing this um i i, I understand that um only recently very recently has has that uh, complaint been formalized as such of course with all of these things um you know you you do need to have the um, the interests of the of the, the 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 people at the heart of it in 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 mind, and you know, ensuring that you're not doing anything, you know, expressly against their wishes too. Now, obviously, independence is the key platform for the SNP. The you know the main goal, um, and you want to hold a referendum on that. But what is the SNP plan for if the UK government don't grant one? Would you support a wildcat referendum held without legal approval or would you support some other steps? I think our um, party has kind of made clear over the last couple of months that uh, you know democracy is what should prevail in this, this instance. Um, we will put an independence referendum in our manifesto this May um, if that uh, succeeds in returning a pro-independence majority, then we will go ahead, and there's legislation already in, in the works, we will go ahead with um, taking that forward. Uh, we will look towards a date, a time, a mechanism, um, you know, an electorate, um, all the, the trappings that go with, with, um, with uh, you know, organising a referendum. And, you know, on that basis, I think there will be general support throughout the Scottish population for not for necessarily independence per se, but for Scotland's right to choose our own future. Um, it's important that um, we we don't you know, rush into it. I think uh, um, I think you know there is still a pandemic going on, but actually you know, there is light at the end of the tunnel there too. Um, and so, you know, part of, of what Scotland's recovery looks like and coming out of this pandemic um, you know, could be helped considerably by having more of the powers, particularly the macroeconomic levers, to make a real difference to invest now to realise the benefits down down the line. And, you know, I, I, I think we've, we've said in, in recent months that we will continue on that 
um, trajectory and frankly will betide any UK government that tries to deny Scotland that that right or you know drag this through the courts. Now on uh, the point of independence, looking at some of the uh, recent polling, support for independence has fallen slightly somewhat, seemingly in relation uh, to uh, the evidence that um, Nicola Sturgeon uh, gave before uh, the inquiry into the allegations regarding Alex Salmond. Do you think that this demonstrates that independence in the view of some people in the Scottish electorate is too closely uh, tied uh, to Nicola Sturgeon? And do you think, therefore, if that is the case, that she has now become a liability to the SNP and the Scottish independence movement? I mean, there's absolutely no question that she has not become a liability. <laughs> you look at the, her personal approval ratings, um, you know, compared to other political leaders across the UK, and she is absolutely streets ahead. Um, people trust her. They trust her leadership. They trusted the way that she's led Scotland through uh, the pandemic over the, the the past year. Put it this way: there's there's 23 polls on the trot now showing support for independence at historically high levels. You would expect them to bounce up and down a wee bit. The last couple haven't been quite such good reading for supporters independence, but the, the 20 before that were extremely encouraging. Um, I think that your support for independence for Scotland's right to choose our future is probably bigger than any personalities. Uh, that said, um, yeah, you know, leadership, good leadership, trust in government, trust in the direction of the country and, I suppose, confidence in securing that future are what matter um, you know, more than, more than you know, Nicola Sturgeon or any other, any other politician. Um, and I think particularly contrasting um, the approach of Nicola Sturgeon, which has been cautious, it's been uh, confident uh, over the last year with what's the comparison? Um, Boris Johnson, who I don't think on, on many readings people would say has you know, ha led the UK with, with purpose or confidence or much success over the last year. Um, and you know, when you're comparing the two of them, I think uh, people, if, if they're, if they're going to draw these conclusions based on personality, then uh, you know, they, they are drawn to, to, to one conclusion or the other. I know there's been plenty of sort of anecdotal evidence. I certainly know it from my, my own family that, that you know, having never been fans of Nicola Sturgeon uh, before or the SNP, they have been very impressed by the way that she's, she's handled and conducted herself over the last year. And, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's great. She's an asset. But um, I think the wider point about confidence and belief in Scotland standing up on its own two feet is, is, is a much bigger thing. If Scotland does leave the UK, um, what kind of role do you see for the SNP afterwards? And what role would you see for unionist parties going forward? Because obviously there's still going to be millions of people who voted no, even if you, you, you win independence. So how do you think you can bring the country together after that? Yeah, I think that's a, a really good point, actually. And you know, the last thing you would want to do as a as a party that delivers independence would be to 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 gloat or to to suggest that this is a country, a new nation that you've you've um, you're, you're in the process of creating that that is no welcoming home for for those who perhaps weren't convinced of the merits of independence. Uh, so I think a real responsibility there on the shoulders of the SNP once we get to that point. Um, 
there's often, you know, people discuss whether um, you know, would the SNP survive independence, you know, would the party even continue to exist once it had, you know, achieved its raison d'etre. Um, and I think there would be, I think the prevailing political mood in Scotland is left of centre social democratic, that's what the SNP embodies. Um, I think it would would continue to, you know, to, 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 provide leadership through certainly through the transition and then thereafter it's up for um up to the people of scotland to decide who 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 they want um i i think there are genuinely um unionist politicians in scotland who would be very very helpful in that process of nation building um, there are very bright people um, amongst the, the Tory ranks, amongst Labour ranks, um, who believe firmly in the project of devolution, in gaining more powers for the Scottish Parliament over the years, and actually think that that certain powers over borrowing, over um, taxation, um, you know, over our relationship with the rest of the world should be exercised here in in Scotland and and actually I think bringing them on board as part of that that huge task to to, to build a new nation um, is, is very very important. Uh, we're coming towards the end of the podcast it's been great to have you on Fergus and I have one uh, final question we've of course discussed coronavirus and the impact that that has had on all of our lives and of course we're still in a, a national lockdown at the moment though it is uh, beginning to ease uh, thanks to uh, vaccination so my final question to you is this uh, what one thing that you haven't been able to do because of coronavirus are you most looking forward to being able to do again when things are uh, at a more normal level uh, as they were before uh, coronavirus? Uh, I think seeing family is a, is a huge one. Um, sadly, we lost my, my grandfather earlier this year. Um, he was in a, in a care home um, and uh, yes, they had an outbreak of coronavirus and he, he, you know, he, was, he was suffering from, from dementia and had gone downhill. And unfortunately, that, that, was, the, that was the final straw. Um, I haven't been able to see my granny and give her a, a hug. Uh, since that happened and uh, that would probably be pretty high up on the agenda thereafter I think a trip to the pub with some friends would <laughs> would be pretty high up the, the agenda too um, and you know it might sound a bit kind of glib but you know um, I've, I really missed seeing people you know <laughs> I'm actually a people person and not having that over the last uh, few months has, has been pretty wearing what about you guys uh, well, hopefully, as, as you say, seeing uh, family and uh, getting out to uh, the, the the pub would be something that would very much be uh, high on my high on my agenda. Yeah, I think I think I think the pub as well is is you know is the I think that's the cornerstone to me of like normality. If the, if the pubs are open, then we're we're on the right track. I think. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, it's been um, great uh, to speak to you, Fergus. If people want to find out more about your campaign, where should they go to find out more about it? You can go to my website at fergusmuch.scot or uh, you can find me on Twitter at Fergoodness, which is a ridiculous uh, handle, uh, or on Facebook, uh, Fergus Much SNP. Excellent. Thank you once again for coming onto the podcast. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast. If you've enjoyed it, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Podbeam and Amazon Music. You can also follow us on Twitter, 
at Debated Podcast. Like us on Facebook, Debated Podcast. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, whether about appearing on an episode of the podcast or commenting on an episode that you've listened to, you can do so at thedebatedpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. I hope you listen to the next one.